Our economy is crashing. Inflation is out of control. Why are conservatives bad, Mommy? Because I thought we were supposed to conserve. <laughs> They'd actually breathe in my nostrils to make me move. Russia has joined with China. Okay. <laughs> the USA is a mess. This is not real. It's just a dream. Please, please wake up. I guess we should first say congratulations to Elon Musk and the team at over at SpaceX. I mean, it, it didn't go perfectly, but it was exciting to watch. If you, in case you missed it earlier today, it was the SpaceX launch, and they weren't even expecting it to make it off the launch pad. And a lot of cheers uh, as it continues to ascend into air, uh, into the atmosphere, and then, of course, yes, into space. At some point, you will see that break off there as that SpaceX rocket uh, enters outer space. Again, watch and listen here. Let's dive into the sound. We're flying at twice the thrust of a Saturn V heading to space. We're throttled down and throttled back up. Going through the period of maximum aerodynamic pressure. As the velocity increases, the density of the atmosphere is decreasing, lessening stress on the vehicle. The call out, Max Q now. And then it explodes. Uh, apparently, the rocket booster, when it separated, it, it caused a spin of the main capsule, and that that spin sort of uh, go, grew out of control. And and you know, but Elon, uh, his his attitude right away is, I learned a lot from this launch, and it's back to the drawing board. And that's the kind of leadership that I love because he he didn't make excuses. He didn't, you know, as many people in government would do. If this was a NASA project, you would have had you know, a, a bunch of obfuscated reasons why, you know, uh, they would never admit to failure. And, and, and Elon just embraces it, which is admirable. Uh, we'll have a lot of sound bites today. The political theater is is revving up. There's a new uh, jaw-dropping report. Uh, in fact, Nancy Mace, is that her name, Nancy Mace? Congresswoman from South Carolina. She, uh, this is what she had to say yesterday about walking out of a hearing about the Biden crime family and all that they've been doing these past decades, even longer. Listen to what she had to say as she's walking out of a hearing. Just left the Treasury to review over 100 suspicious activity reports on the Biden family. And I have to tell you, there are more Bidens involved than than we knew previously. And every time you unturn, overturn, or look under a stone... There's so much more you have to investigate because it's wild the number of family members involved. And it's even the amount of money that we're talking about in these suspicious activity reports is astronomical. And the accusations therein, the source of the funding, where the where the money's going, the shell companies, prostitution rings, prostitution rings, etc. It's insanity to me that it's not been investigated in the way that it should be. And now John Solomon over at Just the News wrote a scathing article today in which he points out that it is now apparent that members of the Biden administration have blocked investigations 
into the Biden family business. And this is tantamount to what a cover-up. And cover-ups don't play well with the American people. It's like trying to hide the fact that you got caught. And this thing is going to continue to spiral. uh, and, And unfortunately, we can't count on our media this was Nancy Mace yesterday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and there was no mention of it on the news that night, none at all whatsoever. And so not only is the Biden administration blocking the investigation, the media is doing its bidding. And, uh, oh, by the way, there's this little ditty, speaking of our president from yesterday. Uh, it's amazing what you see on, on the Internet. 10, 12, 15... <laughs> Oops, stepping on a, there's a, it's black. Anyway. I wonder if that's the sign. He stepped on a black cat. How the black cat got to where he was. It was not a meme. It was uh, actually quite funny. But anyway, so Nancy had mentioned that. And then, of course, John Solomon's report today uh, in justthenews.com, which implicates it's much more, it's worse than anything that Trump is involved with. Uh, because obviously Biden is, running for re-election. So how is he going to win when he's got this like a, you know, like a ball and chain around? He's not going to be able to, even if the press doesn't ask him about it. And the only person in the room is Peter Ducey, who does, you know, that Jean-Pierre Picard, the speaker of the house or the press secretary is going to obfuscate. That's what they do. They lie. Uh, Speaking of lying, another bombshell came out yesterday that I want to share with you. You might remember back, I think it was November 2020, when Rand Paul and Dr. Anthony Fauci had an interchange about gain of function. And I've got this clip where Rand Paul asked Dr. Fauci directly, were you involved with gain of function research, which is illegal in the United States? And was Peter Dasik of Eco Health Alliance and your organization, NAID, funding gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab. Listen to a little bit of this interchange from, I believe it was November 2020 at a Senate hearing. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was, let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. Quite. That was pretty fierce. And that went on for a, a long period of time. Here's what happened yesterday. Uh, where, if you remember, the director of national Intelli- uh, intelligence, uh, Radcliffe, was asked by uh, members of Congress, was Dr. Anthony Fauci lying? In November of 2021, Dr. Fauci told Senator Rand Paul under oath that the NIH did not fund gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab, despite having been explicitly told in an email in January of 2021 that NIH had a monetary relationship with the Wuhan Institute through the EcoHealth Alliance. During the committee's initial origins hearing 
In March, I asked former CDC Director Dr. Redfield whether the NIH, NIH was funding or had funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute, and he told me, direct quote, no doubt, unquote, NIH was funding this research in Wuhan, refuting Dr. Fauci's claims. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Mr. Ratcliffe. Uh, do you agree with Dr. Redfield? I do. Given what we know now, if you were in Dr. Fauci's position, would you have denied that N the NIH's role in gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab? No. Do you think that Dr. Fauci lied under oath? I think that... Uh some of Dr. Fauci's testimony is um, inconsistent with uh, some of the intelligence that uh, we have that remains um, uh, classified, uh, as well as inconsistent with some information that is publicly available. Sounds like a no to me. Or yes, he did lie. By the way, Fauci recently took a, a, a consulting position at an Italian pharmacy. I'm sorry, pharmaceutical. <laughs> Will these people ever be held account? So yesterday it was announced if you haven't seen it, of course you didn't see it because it would go against the narrative. The uh, Pfizer and Moderna mRNAs, they don't want you to take the, the, the original dose anymore. They want you to take a bivalent, a weaker dose. Why? Because they think there's something wrong with the mRNAs. They think there's something wrong. Geez, let's go look at the, what, what are the statistics today? I can find it in, in maybe in 15 seconds. But basically what it is is that we are living in a country where people continue to suffer from, uh, here's the VAERS data, let's go see. To date, April 7th, that's when the last CDC report was issued, 1.5 million reports of side effects from the mRNA vaccines, including 35,000 people dying, 196,000 people hospitalized, Another 150,000 people seeking urgent care after getting a vaccine. Uh, and then 65,000 people permanently disabled. Heart attacks, 19,000. Miscarriages, 5,000. Think the people will ever pay? This is part and parcel of the issue that we're going to discuss in a moment with Reverend James Harden about the, uh, the RU486 drug. And the Supreme Court decided to extend the availability of it pending further review. And that came down yesterday. And what we're seeing here is that, again, they're not talking about the side effects. And I went online this morning and looked up some of the statistics about mifepristone. And it's it's a, a little bit alarming. It's, it's, I'm, and again, you know, yesterday I was watching on the news where they were talking about how it is extended and that they want to keep it available for mail-in and not have a doctor prescribe it. And it has dangerous side effects. And the problem is, is that they don't want to tell you that. They don't want to give the patient. And by the way, you're going to be start. They don't want to give the patient the choice of knowing how dangerous something is that you're giving them. And, and the abortion industry, by the way, is a billion dollar industry. A billion dollar industry. That's why they're fighting so hard to keep it going, if for lack of a better word. We'll continue this discussion. James Harden going to join us in just a moment. Talk about yesterday's ruling of the Supreme Court and what it means for uh, pro-life supporters. We'll continue speaking out America. JR with you. 
Welcome back to Speaking Out America. I am JR, and it is a great privilege for me to have back on the program Compass Care CEO Jim Harden. And he has been a, doing a great job of uh, keeping us up to date on the latest with what's going on in in the world and in, certainly in America with regards to abortion and all the controversy surrounding the latest abortion pill and how the Supreme Court has now extended it outward so it is still going to be made available. Uh, and do we know why that they're just extending it out? Are they are they still trying to debate whether or not the uh, the drug can be pulled for for health reasons, Jim? Yeah, Jared, this is that's a great question. Thanks for having me on again. Um, so we're we're not quite sure what how the Supreme Court's going to rule on this. This is a, a fluid situation as we speak. The Supreme Court is deliberating. Um, so what what happened as we talked, I think last week, um, you know, there's this flurry of, of court activity. U.S. Um, District Court out of Texas in the Northern District of Texas began to hear arguments from physician plaintiffs suing the FDA for their illegal approval of this dangerous chemical abortion drug. That was the beginning, back in November last year. Um, They heard oral arguments, and they had a hearing back uh, in mid-March, the Ides of March, March 15th. Mm -hmm. Um, Our facility was attacked again that night um, because this this is fomenting violence and agitation and pro-abortion kind of ranks again, similar to what happened back when the Dobbs case came out. So... The judge ruled in favor of the physician plaintiffs, saying the FDA did not follow their own legal protocols for approving this dangerous drug that actually kills women. Um, the, when Washington State, another U.S. district court, you know, basically said, FDA, don't listen to the district court. Don't listen to Texas. Don't listen to the Texas judge. In fact, you should totally deregulate this drug and don't even require uh, pharmacies to, to be certified in, in dispensing it and don't even bother requiring uh, women uh, you know, being notified of, of the risks and side effects. That's that's how extreme that was. And then the Fifth Circuit jumped in and said, "Okay, stay all these all these rulings, uh, FDA. You got to go back to 2016 level regulations while the Supreme Court can get a chance to hear this." Well, then the Supreme Court comes out on Wednesday and says, "Okay, everybody, all the all this flurry of activity needs to be stopped. Uh, we're going to stay all rulings, all lower court rulings, until we get a chance to hear it." Okay, they stayed all rulings until. Wednesday, which is well today, right? yeah. Today, Wednesday, yeah. Uh, um, Thursday, Thursday. And so yesterday they Thursday they uh, continued the stay. So they continued the stay yesterday until tomorrow, which is Friday, and uh, and so now they're hearing all all the arguments that the that the physicians are were bringing, and they're going to make a decision. And I have a prediction that based on because Justice Alito is the is the one who wrote this, the the majority opinion for the Supreme Court with the Dobbs case overturning Roe. He's the one that issued the Supreme Court stay order on all lower court rulings just just recently. He's the one. Yeah. So my sense is that the Supreme Court's going to come out and they're going to say, look, it's still, the, it's still the state's purview to regulate abortion as they see fit. But because the FDA, a federal agency, has been involved, they're going to say they're probably going to rule in favor of the Texas judge and say, look, the FDA, you need to do what you're, you need to do your job. You didn't do your job. Go back to the drawing board. And the reason why the abortion industry is so up in arms on this is because they know this drug is so dangerous it would never make it through the FDA's rigorous safety protocols. So I think the uh, Supreme Court's going to rule in favor of the Texas ruling, telling the uh, you know basically overruling or over, overturning the FDA's approval of this drug. And that means 
that the Biden administration, because Joe Biden himself asked the Supreme Court to step in. That's why they did so. They didn't do this because they wanted to. They did, they did this because Joe Biden himself asked for a specific emergency hearing from the Supreme Court. Mm. But he wants this. Joe Biden wants this to be so because this will this will give the, the Democrats the fodder they need to mischaracterize this ruling and say, see, this is this is why we need to take back the House in the 2024 election mm-hmm. so that yeah. we can pass legislation increasing the size of the Supreme Court from nine to 13 and put some what they call, you know, objective people in there instead of these, these uh, right wing extremists, as they call them. And that's also probably what's behind this latest effort to get Clarence Thomas out of the Supreme Court by yeah. alleging that he took bribes or gifts, uh, which actually there's no he even admitted, look, I asked around, I didn't do anything wrong, but they won't give up. And also we want to talk about Governor Ron DeSantis because uh, some have said that this is going to prevent him if he thinks he's going to run for president, that this is going to just stir up a lot of mess. He just signed the six-week abortion ban, and that's put him in the crosshairs of of the uh, pro-abortion lobby. And uh, they're going after him. They're going to continue to go after him. What do you think about that? I think Ron DeSantis knows what he's doing. I think uh, the 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 um, the Democrats are trying to run Republican election campaigns by saying that this is you know being pro-life is unpopular. But what we what we saw in the in the midterm elections is that is that being uh, a weakling and a coward is unpopular (laughs) because everybody that stood up strong on their pro-life beliefs ended up winning against this massive. You know, you know, one to five spend rate from the Democrats. And all they talked about was abortion. They mischaracterized it, too, by the way. They, they refused to tell, tell people what they really believed and what they really wanted, which was absolute, unfettered, unrestricted abortion access, which is not what the people of America actually want. So when people like Governor DeSantis stood up on principle and said, no, I'm pro-life and I'll stay pro-life. And then, in fact, I need to, we need to be more pro-life. He got elected in a landslide yeah. or, or, or Governor Abbott or, you know, or, or whoever. Um, you know, the governor out of Ohio, anybody that stood strong on, on their pro-life beliefs won handily against their pro-abortion counterparts. So, that, you know, we need to be careful and not listen to these Democrats in, 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 uh, in terms of how Republicans should run their campaigns. In fact, the Republican um, National Committee came out a few months ago at, you know, I, I was suggesting after the, after the uh, midterms that, look, we need pro-life statesmen. Pro-life statesman is the job of it is not the job of government to decide who qualifies as a person protected under the law. It's the job of government to make sure that everybody, from the womb to the tomb, it, it, it gets their equal protection under the law. The Fourteenth Amendment rights apply to un- pre-born boys and girls too. And so the Republican committee basically came out and said, if you're going to run for 20, in 2024, make sure you stand strong on the pro-life position. This is their official position now, thankfully. And, uh, and I think Governor DeSantis sees that and understands that people really want men of courage and women of courage standing for all human beings, not just uh, not just some human beings. We should mention that according to statistics, and this comes from uh, the CDC, that a majority of abortions are with women in their young 20s. And in some cases, about 10 percent are accounted for in the 15 to 19 age group. These are the people that the Democrats have tapped into, and these happen to be the most vocal people on the Internet and in social media. So it has the appearance of being this huge army when, in fact, it may not be. And that's what I think uh, Jim Harden is saying, is that the majority of Americans see this for what it is, which is 800,000 abortions uh, are taking place in our country and have been. 
back all the way back to the beginning. And we even peaked. It's actually gone down since the 80s. But we are running out of time. Uh, Jim Harden is the CEO and founder of Compassion Care, and they are instrumental in providing alternatives to young women in their time of need. And I appreciate you and hope that you are listening. CompassCareWalk.com. Go to CompassCareWalk.com and get involved. And we appreciate you stopping by this time up, and we'll look forward to seeing you the next time on Speaking Out America, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jer. All right. Stay tuned. Coming up on Speaking Out America, we're going to do our Pulse of the Nation, uh, Sound Bites of the Week, which I know you're going to absolutely enjoy. Uh, Plus, we'll talk about this unusual news report last night that basically was a guilt trip uh, for the American people, courtesy of ABC News and Disney. We'll get to that in just a moment. You're listening to Speaking Out America. I'm JR, and we will continue. Remember that one back in the 80s, the retro era? Gary Newman and his only hit cars. We all love to be in our cars. Uh, memories of driving around in L.A., nice sun, windows roll down, blaring this song. Remember that? Love it. Give me my car. You know, I've been debating whether to buy a, a hybrid. You know, everybody's going electric, but I just, I, I don't, I don't understand. I've seen enough evidence to show that this is like transition technology. It's not done evolving, you know, it's not there yet because for one thing, the battery life doesn't last forever. And it costs up, upwards to $10,000. And eventually, if you own an electric car long enough, you're going to have to replace the battery. Just like they have to work on that technology. They have to make it better. And I'm following the science on this one. And the science has led me. And you've heard about what's happening in some of these faraway countries where they're extorting children. They're exploiting children. And these large Chinese cobalt lithium mines that are in Congo and elsewhere, slave labor. And we turn our eyes the other way. We don't look. All we care about is having our electric vehicles, which is why I am extremely upset about a report that I saw last night that was on uh, ABC News. It was with David Muir, ABC World News Tonight. And uh, I posted an article about this on my website, Speaking Out America, and I hope that you'll go to it. And the name of the article is Memo to ABC News, Spare Us the Guilt Trip. But before I I get to that, I want to play for you Bill Gates, because Bill is very instrumental. He is the George Soros of America. He is going out and meddling in the affairs of other countries. He meddled greatly in the during the covid. He's one of the main sponsors. He's got so much money. He'll never run out of money ever. He could never give away his money. And so he influenced pedals. He he has great influence over the World Health Organization. He's one of the main contributors, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He he sponsors a lot of left-leaning ideals about climate change. He is a big proponent of the entire planet going vegan because in his mind, he's convinced. I'm, I, You know, look, you, a lot of us, we're guilty of, of assuming that people of great wealth or even of great education are somehow so smart that we shouldn't even question what they say. And that's your first mistake because the science of climate change is theory. It's all theory. The reason it's theory is because what's bore out in a computer-generated 
biorhythm or algorithm is not the same as what actually happens in real life. Needless to say, they're barking up the wrong tree. And what it's doing is it's allowing people in positions of power to dictate to the rest of us our life, including what we eat. We talked about Eric Adams, the mayor of New York yesterday. He's going to get down and start mandating in public schools, no meat, uh, anything that causes emissions or is directly related to methane, which would be cows. Uh, he's he's going to use the power of legislation and political influence to mandate what people can eat because he thinks that it's going to save the environment. But here's Bill Gates at a recent world, I think it was the World Economic Forum. Bill Gates is buying up a lot of property all over the country, and he's planning on getting rid of cows. Listen to how he describes what, what he's doing, why he's doing, and the effect it's going to have on all of us. Now, a large part of the carbon we have in the atmosphere now is caused by the electricity grid, which is about 25% or so. Exactly. So um, 24%, it comes from agriculture and forestry. Why is that causing such a big increase in carbon? When you clear land, you're taking in the carbon that's stored, say, in the trees or plants there, and you're releasing all of that, like burning the land, uh, say, in Indonesia for palm oil plantations. Another thing is that... So that's his problem. So he's taking on the problem of another country that is trying to eke a living out of palm tree oil, and in that they burn, they release this carbon into the atmosphere, and he says, no, you can't do that. You can't have a... You can't make a living destroying nature. We did it. We did it in our country for 200 years, but we're not letting you do it. And we're going to buy your government off so that they'll put into policy things that will restrict you from being able to support yourself. This is what he does. Cows and other grass-eating species uh, have a digestion system that emits methane. And methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas. And so cows alone uh, account for about 6% of global emissions. And so we need to change cows. uh, cows. You hear how casually we, I, my money, I'm going to change everything for everybody else. Where's the arrogance that he has so much possession of that he can dictate what he wants? This is something that we need to do. We need to get rid of methane because we believe that methane is leading to climate change because there's methane in the air along with a little bit of carbon. It's interesting at the very beginning of this, listen to the, Listen to the conditions by which they have this discussion. Now, a large part of the carbon we have in the atmosphere now is caused by the electricity grid. Okay, so just that statement alone, a large part of the carbon, which is, according to the theorists, the main driver of anthropogenic climate change, the the warming of the the earth. But carbon only makes up 0.004, and methane is like 3%. So these two gases that are in our atmosphere that have little effect on the driver of climate, and yet somehow we need to reduce these greenhouse emissions in order to keep the temperature from going up. This is their logic. And so that logic has led them to the natural control of all carbon and all methane. And so with their money and their influence and their policies, they're going to go and they're going to create policy that controls what we eat and what we drive and where we live. Now, who gave them this right? That's always the question in the back of my mind. Who the hell are you? Because you have money, because you get subscriptions from 
Microsoft Word every month that goes into your bank account that I have to pay in order for me to be able to open a damn Word document. And you're going to take all that money and you're going to put it in a cause du jour, which is climate change, because man is causing the climate to change. And so now we've, we've fast forward to the ABC World News last night, which is the bulk of my dissertation here, is that David Muir pro- provided us with a view of life inside South Sudan. And they've been devastated by seasonal rain and flooding. He goes in and he has all the great pictures, the climate change propaganda piece, which is designed to make people in the West feel guilty that somehow we caused the human caused flooding. This is why Bangladesh is is suing the world for reparations, because they say that the flooding in Bangladesh, which has been going on since time immemorial, is somehow the fault of the West. And so David Muir is playing into that. Now, the piece lasted about five minutes. He took us through the small riverbank village that was over flooding. And he kept saying, because of climate change, because of climate change. Another shot, woman struggling to find food in the river. A little child by the riverbank with bloated stomachs and dysentery. And David keeps dropping these hints that all of this is because of man-made climate change. Now, I had a few questions for David because I thought he was going to go somewhere. But the first question is, what about all that money that we give to uh, the Paris Climate Accord, the one that Trump took out and then Biden quickly reinstated. That's $500 million a year just from the United States. Isn't that money supposed to go to helping these people in South Sudan or elsewhere where they're battling with the effects of climate change? In that piece that David had last night, I only saw two people, and they were from non-government organizations I'd never even heard of. Where's the billions of dollars at the Paris Climate Accord going if it's not helping these people? You know, I remember there's a bit that's around on the Internet, Sam Kinison, and he makes an issue of this back in the 70s. And he's asking questions about why people live in such areas that are subjected to regular flooding and drought. It seems like the answer would be to move where the food is. And so David and his team are there. They're baffled. And it's you could see it in his eyes. He's just absolutely stunned that people don't live like we do in the West. And the and the real problem is, and this is what I'd hoped that David Muir would challenge, is where's all the money going? I mean, people are giving money to help fight climate change. I mean, that's probably the biggest organized scheme in the planet right now. I mean, you have countries that are going bankrupt because they're giving it all away to fight climate change. So why isn't that money making it to Sudan? I'll tell you why. Because it's lining the pockets of the people in charge. The IPCC and all of the grants that they they hand out to these research firms and these NGOs that are supposed to go in and take that money and make life better for those people in those remote areas of the world. That's where the money's going. And there's little accountability, absolute little accountability. And so that piece that ABC News had last night was nothing more than propaganda, nothing more than a huge guilt trip foisted on those in the West who feel guilty that their life is better than the people who live in South Sudan, run by despots and uh, dictators that in, in more cases than not, we've actually helped prop up. And here's a kicker. This was floating around on the Internet. I just wanted to share it with you, sort of an icing on the cake. So here is an OPEC engineer 
who's describing the fallacy of electric vehicles. What do you put in the batteries? Lithium. Okay. From where do you get the lithium? You get it by mining. Okay. What do you use to mine the lithium? You use heavy equipment machineries. The amount of money and the amount of energy being used to make a lithium battery, it's more dangerous for the environment than a fuel, you know, internal combustion engine. Do you hear that? The amount of energy it takes to make a lithium battery is more than the cost of fuel <laughs> and more destructive to the environment. So I'll leave you with that kernel of truth, and we'll see you next time here on Speaking Out America. Don't forget to join me online, speakingoutamerica.com. I'm JR. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome back to Speaking Out America. I am JR. Don't forget about our website. It is it is always available. We have good articles. Just posted up a, an article today, which I'll comment on momentarily, about uh, the ABC News report about South Sudan. Maybe you saw that if you're watching ABC World News tonight, last night. What a bunch of garbage. What a bunch of propaganda. I feel bad for the they're exploiting these people. How dare they? We'll get to that in a moment. Let's see. I'm very pleased that Congress, by a wide majority, passed the bill that would ban biological males from participating in women's sports, even if they're transitioning to a woman, because you can't, you got to follow the science on that one, right? I mean, it's the science. They say, oh, you got to believe in the science. Well, the science tells us that men have more body mass and it gives them more strength. So, and it's interesting because I noticed, uh, our local female softball team is doing really well. And I, I've recently enjoyed seeing my granddaughter playing softball and I have a great appreciation for women's softball, the way they hurl that ball. But you know, the field is shorter, not by much, maybe 50 feet, but it's shorter for a reason. It's not short to be condescending to women or imply that they can't hit the ball farther to 400 feet. But they take into account science, which is that what is a reasonable amount of distance between home plate and where the barrier is for the home run. And they have figured, factoring in that women have less body mass than men, and therefore they have to adjust to make it fair. Otherwise, you know, women's softball would be like soccer. You might get one home run a game, and how boring would that be? So the rest of the world is following science, but for whatever reason, Joe Biden is not following science. It's hard for me to believe that you've got, and it, this bill still has to go to the Senate. The Senate has to vote for it, and then it will make its way to the president. And he he's already said that he will veto the bill because he he believes that he is protecting the the rights of transgender. And what he's really doing is putting in law something that is highly detrimental it's very insulting, very insulting to women in this country. And people are starting to realize that. Oh, speaking of which, so there's this that, that I, I found on the media. This is, uh, I guess, Kamala Harris finally came out. Listen. I tried to tell him. I said, don't do it. Okay. <laughs> I said, don't do it. <laughs> 
and look what they did. (laughs) (laughs) They indicted Trump. And now his polls are just going to continue to go up. (laughs) Hey, off the record, Trump, have your people call my people. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Hashtag Harris Trump. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll settle for Trump Harris. (laughs) That's pretty funny. That's her doppelganger. It's a woman who's making a name for herself, doing a great imitation of Kamala Harris. I thought you'd enjoy that. Uh, Speaking of Trump, I, I ran across this. We can make this our Pulse of the Nation segment. Some interesting sound bites on on social media that I'll play for you here. Uh, Check this out. This is a Catholic nun who is putting her two cents in on Trump. Donald Trump is the most pro-life president that this nation has ever had, defending life at all stages. His belief in the sanctity of life transcends politics. President Trump will stand up against Biden-Harris, who are the most anti-life presidential ticket ever even supporting the horrors of late-term abortion and infanticide. Because of his courage and conviction, President Trump has earned the support of America's pro-life community. Moreover, he has a nationwide of religious standing behind him. You'll find us here with our weapon of choice, the rosary. So thank you, Mr. President. We are all praying for you. That's a nice touching meme that's uh, making its way across the internet from a nun, uh, I believe from some diocese on the East Coast, I'm not sure. Uh, Here is, interestingly enough, speaking of Trump, if you watch, uh, what's that show? Shark Tank. Barbara Kerkorin, she's on the show, she's a regular. Here's here's something that she, she did an interview at some point not long ago, and this is what she had to say about Donald Trump. He is a phenomenal salesman. He's not a great salesman. He's probably the best salesman I've ever been in the company of. And I spent a lot of time with Donald because he's five years older than me, I think four years, and he was raising his company right parallel with me raising mine. And so I did a lot of work with Donald. And I can tell you, he is the best salesman I've ever met in my life. I watched him walk into a situation, for example, selling the Plaza Hotel to the Chinese out of Hong Kong, it was in Taiwan, group of, of Asians, wealthiest families in Hong Kong. And they were there because they were interested in the Plaza Hotel. And I was the broker, or my brokers, were, we were all at the table, and we were like really hungry to make this deal. And I watched him totally not pitch the Plaza Hotel, bury it, and talk about the land masses on the Hudson River and the buildings that would be there. They were not the least bit interested. They just wanted to buy the Plaza Hotel. Like a customer, I want to buy it, and Donald was near bankruptcy, really needed the money to bail out. And I watched him. I thought he was so off. He wasn't. They bought the land and built all those towers on the West River, as we know it today, you know, all those Trump towers along the river. That was the deal. How did he do that? I'll tell you what his masterful mind does. He is a genius at picking out the vulnerability of someone's personality. He can smell it, sense it, and trust it. Kind of got me to thinking about how he kind of picks at Ron DeSantis, right? Because he knows what, what could get under his skin. And he does it almost delicately, if you notice. He hasn't come down hard. 
but he just pokes enough uh, so that Ron gets the message, you don't want to mess with me. This is my clear the way. And that's what's happening politically. Here's something I... There what, there play, hold on, let me play this. Cue it up. This is AOC. I've I'd, I'd not seen this before, but you want to talk about pandering. So this is all out on social media. Listen to the affect. Remember the affect that Hillary Clinton and some others would, whenever they go to the South or they're talking to people in the South, suddenly they, they have these accents. Listen to this. This just shows you what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is really like, what her character is really like in the way that she placates to the crowd. There were there was times of economic opportunity. So Wages and rose. And- so that's how she sounds just talking. Then they're going to compare it with something else. 1970s. I'm proud to be a bartender. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding clothes for other people to buy. There is nothing wrong with preparing the food that your neighbors will eat. Huh. Nice accent, chick. Nice accent. Uh, and it really shows the transparency of, of this woman who, and, and I blame her personally for the influence that she's had in Congress on a lot of these energy policies that have crippled America, in my opinion. They've completely crippled America, thanks to people like her. And speaking of which, you know, here's a guy that had it all right back in the 1970s and 80s. He knew what was going on. I ran across this clip, an oldie but goodie from George Carlin. Balance the scale. I'd like to talk about some things that bring us together. Things that point out our similarities instead of our differences. Because that's all you ever hear about in this country is our differences. That's all the media and the politicians are ever talking about, the things that separate us, things that make us different from one another. That's the way the ruling class operates in any society. They try to divide the rest of the people. They keep the lower and the middle classes fighting with each other so that they, the rich, can run off with all the fing money. <laughs> Fairly simple thing happens to work. You know anything different, that's what they're going to talk about. Race, religion, ethnic and national background, jobs, income, education, social status, sexuality, anything you can do, keep us fighting with each other so that they can keep going to the bank. You know how I describe the economic and social classes in this country? The upper class keeps all of the money, pays none of the taxes. The middle class pays all of the taxes, does all of the work. The poor are there just to scare the out of the middle class. <laughs> we'll have more talk about Earth and uh, Bill Gates and ABC News and shoddy reporting and so much more. Stay tuned. Speaking out, America. America.